0: Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're
1: your host, Natalie Kvorek. And Tara Vanderdeusen, and together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space. This week, we are back with episode 77 of Discover Ag, and as always, it is brought to you by Case IH. To the men and women at Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories, and you can even share your own. Built by Farmers, Ksi a proud sponsor of the Discover Ag podcast.
0: Okay. Do you know what I was thinking about the other day that made me chuckle? What? When we thought we were sourdough girlies. Speak for yourself. I am still a sourdough girly. I cooked
1: sourdough cookies last night. You are? boo yeah, Yeah. I like... Yes. I almost killed it once. Remember, I text you like in a panic because Guinevere loves the sourdough. And I was like, I think I killed the sourdough. And then our friend gave us some great advice and I revived it. I even emailed the lady who sent me the original sourdough starter. and was like, I think I killed it and my child's going to be devastated. So she sent me extra starter in case I kill it <laughs> that I'm like ready to go. But no, mine's alive and thriving. And mine is actually thriving in other states. Like I have passed my sourdough on too. It's in California. It's in Texas. It's in a lot of places in California. Well, I wouldn't so have brought this up if I thought you were such a thriving baker person. over there. I had no idea. Yeah. I've just been like low key living my best
0: sourdough life. Mine is absolutely sitting in the back of my fridge with a very large layer. You know how it gets like that black knot because you haven't let it die yet. Go dormant. But mine has that I layer, know which you mean, I know you're, I, you are supposed to be able to bring it back. I just don't think I have the energy. You have the energy and I don't have the energy. I pulled it out. It had been
1: living in my fridge for a little while. And this weekend, the girls were like, mom, like we miss, can you bring it back? The I only cook two things. I cook a few things. No, I did banana bread recently. I do crepes almost every weekend and sourdough cookies. Toot, toot. Someone's toot, in their sourdough. So, it's actually funny. The reason I revived it this weekend is I have been working really hard on my nutrition to lose some weight and I hit my goal. So as anyone would do, I made my favorite <laughs> cookies and ate like all of them in
0: one sitting. So I have to know: Did you and Dan watch the Final Four this weekend?
1: No. If U of A is no. not in it, I don't really care. Did you? No, I didn't. Which I surprising.
0: I grew up in a basketball family. I played basketball. My sisters did. That's just what we did. What? And so
1: I didn't usually know that. You did learning new things. No, I thought you were like a cheerleader. Mm. We had a
0: cartwheel competition. I did not know you played basketball.
1: Learning yeah, new things. Yeah, that was
0: my absolutely my main sport. So normally I do, but I didn't. Luke ended up going into town with. And watched it with some friends. How was Clarkson Farms? It was really good. It's actually getting... I feel like season one was really great from like an introduction standpoint. Obviously, a ton of humor. Definitely, like I've always said, I feel like he showcases and has practical information about agriculture. But this season two is starting to get really emotional. He wants to open up a... Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched it. He wants to open up an on-farm restaurant. And there are citizens in his little, county's not the right word, but whatever it is in where he's at, opposing it. And he talks a lot about how area farmers need it. I didn't realize this, but TB, they were like dealing with a bunch of TB. And so there was a dairy farmer that has lost over 50% of our herd to it. And so he like got them together as a co-op and they were just talking about how, and there was a pig farmer who was talking about how he was struggling trying to get his pig processed and just obviously all the things like when you're in agriculture, you're aware of. And there was a line in it. He said something about, can you imagine any under industry like working on these premises that when they were talking about like the price and just everything they were up against and I got I cried during Clarkson Farms I got really emotional I'm (laughs)
1: glad that somebody on television is doing the most for ag because I don't know if you saw my stories but my mom sent me this video her and my dad were watching a tv show and in the middle of the tv show like it was a scripted tv show not reality so someone actually took the time to write this the it was like a mom and daughter and they the daughter was like I'm hungry and the mom's like I'll go get you like a glass of milk and she was like thank goodness we have this plant-based milk because the cow's milk is just filled with hormones and bad things for you. I like could not believe it. My mom said it only got worse from there. She didn't send me the rest. She was like, then they went on to being like, yeah, that's why we're all converting to being vegan. And like it was literally scripted into the show, this massive amount of misinformation about
0: cow's milk. So I did watch your story and I honestly didn't think much about it. But now that you're bringing it up, I wonder if a sponsor, I wonder if there's funding for the plant-based and that's why they're so intentional about making that narrative Ooh. and some of the key talking points. Like I'd be interested to see where the dollars for that TV show were coming from. That would be so interesting. Actually, I should look back at the video
1: my mom sent and see if there is a carton of some kind of plant-based milk. They definitely showed milk pouring and I didn't look at the logo. Ooh, I'm going to call out that brand. Get ready for it. Speaking of dairy, how
0: was your big event this weekend?
1: It was so good. We raised a lot of money. We had an event for anyone that doesn't follow my stories. It was called Dairy Nights and Can-Am Lights. It was sponsored by Can-Am, which is like a UTV company. They have lots of things, but it was a raffle and it was really fun. It was a reverse raffle. Have you ever done a reverse raffle? No. Okay. So just to give a little explanation, the last ticket is the winning ticket. So all night I was drawing tickets and we only sell 400 tickets. And the grand prize was a Can-Am from a local like can-am dealer zia power sports and the last ticket was the winning ticket so it's really fun to like people get really excited and then at the very end when we get down to very few tickets you can buy back in people Mm. like you obviously raise a lot of money at the very end with people being like i'm out and i want back in but it was so hard because obviously i knew a lot of people and every time i would pull a ticket of someone i knew like i pulled my mom (laughs) and i could hear her yelling (laughs) at me in the
0: background that is such a fun idea for people tuning in though that need ideas for like uh, events that they're hosting fundraisers and stuff
1: Totally. You can do it. I know someone else who's done it with a car. If anyone has questions, DM me. I can tell you all the rules and all the information, but it is a great way to raise a lot of money.
0: Cool. All right. Should we dive into our top trending topics in the ag and food space this week? Let's do it. All right. But first, before we do, we want to thank a new Discover sponsor, you guys. We're introducing Good Ranchers, Baltar and I are new to this meat company. We were connected with them fairly recently the last month or so and have been ordering and trying their meat ourselves for the past few months. And we're excited because today is the day we're bringing them on as an official Discover Ag sponsor. So about the company, Good Ranchers has been changing the way people buy meat since 2018. They're an American meat company working to connect connect American farmers with American families. So there's a lot of things we love about Good Ranchers, but I'd have to say that number one thing we love is that 100% of their meat is born, raised, and harvested here in the U.S. So you know that when you're putting your money to Good Ranchers, you are supporting American farmers. Their selection includes USDA Prime beef, chicken, and seafood. I have personally ordered both the chicken and the beef, but seafood is definitely going to be on my list.
1: Yeah, I've ordered both as well, and I actually cooked the chicken last night. We are not a very big chicken household. I can't remember the last time I had cooked chicken until I got good ranger's chicken, and it's so good. Like, it's Mm. really great. I love the size, actually, of the chicken breast, and it's amazing. I love seafood in our house. So my next on my list is to do the seafood. So I'll keep you guys posted. A couple of good things about Good Ranchers is your price is locked in for the life of your subscription. So you can literally pay the same price for meat you love a year or two from now. Another favorite thing about Good Ranchers is that they donate 10 meals to families in need for every box that's purchased. They've donated over 900,000 meals. So just shy of a million meals to families in needs since they started and you can find them at goodranchers.com and be sure to use the code discover for a discount.
0: All right, you guys, let's dive into our first article title. Italy proposes a ban on lab grown meats to protect its food heritage. The Italian government has given its support to a bill that would prohibit the sale of lab grown meat and other synthetic foods, highlighting Ita- Italian food heritage as a leading cause.
1: This one, one thing I want to know is it's not just meat. It also applies to seafood and milk. So mm-hmm. that's kind of... I like that it's sweeping regulation over animal protein.
0: So I saw a couple... I read a couple different articles and one of them did this as a summary. It said, one, ban on cell-based food production subject to parliament approval. Two, agriculture lobby praises it. Three, angry reactions from food companies and animal rights group. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That pretty well, much sums up. it up. That was yeah. <laughs> I kind of That's had a good. similar thing. I literally <laughs> set this stop. Then my next comments were those three things. Yeah, I was like, Yep, that makes sense. Those are the people I would assume would be praising it. But I do think it's worth noting that farmers I don't know. I think you, you there should be value placed on what farmers think about this. That like farmers okay, so- are opposed to this.
0: That is a very interesting that you brought that up. It is actually a highlight. I don't want to talk about it now, though. I don't know why. I want to bring it up later. Okay. So I think I want to start the thought process behind this. I've seen a couple different headlines talk about quotation, natural food versus synthetic food. Oh my
1: gosh, we are like on the exact same wavelength this week, which is a big difference Mm -hmm. from last week when we were arguing (laughs) the whole time. So I
0: love this for us. You make it sound so dramatic, like we were (laughs) arguing.
1: We just didn't, we were not in agreement on a few things last week. But yeah, that's the next point I had too, is like this whole conversation about natural versus synthetic. So one of my
0: favorite quotes, I think, is from the Minister of Agriculture, actually. And they said that laboratory products do not guarantee quality, well-being, and the protection of the Italian food and wine culture and tradition, which I think is a very valid statement and honestly, well beyond just like Italy's culture. I think my issue with this, I want to preface this actually before we get into the conversation. I don't want people to think that because we're ranchers or in the beef industry, I guess I shouldn't speak for you, but I'm pretty confident I can speak for you when I say that my problem is with cell-based meat is not like a fear of the marketplace or competition or anything like that. Honestly, I welcome innovation into the protein space. My problem is more that cell-based meat has yet to one, prove anything when it comes from a health standpoint and two, anything when it comes from a sustainability standpoint. And I think all of these companies and everyone who's hyping this up all proposition it on those two peg things that it's going to be healthier and it's going to be more sustainable from us. And so I love that the minister of agriculture pointed that out and said that lab products don't guarantee. And then he went on to say everything. And I was just like, yes, give the man a microphone. That is a very valid like he said it really well, I think. Yeah,
1: I agree with you. I feel the same way. It's not that I'm afraid of the product; it's the health claims and the environmental claims. And actually, the dairy guy that was quoted in this article said promoting a product that was anything but natural under the pretext of protecting the environment is wrong. And I agree with that. It's like we have a really healthy product with animal protein, whether that's beef, milk, or seafood, and they're like riding on our coattails when we can't actually prove. There's no science between on on how this is actually going to be processed in our bodies, what the impact of the factories where these synthetic meats are being processed, like what the impact is on the environment. So they're like claiming really strong stances without being able to back them up while also riding like on our nutrition coattails that people know they can get good quality from meat and steak.
0: Mm hmm. So going back to what you said about farmers should have a say in it and that the support is there. So there's this Italian farmer group called Cold Ready, and I honestly tried to look them up more, but my Italian is not up to peak. And I was hoping there would be some like English information on this group to figure out if it's just more information, if it's a, who they are, what they stand for, like where they're funding it, like just information about them, but there wasn't a lot. But they came up in a ton of other agriculture articles, like Italian-based articles. So it must be a pretty prevalent, this cold already must be a pretty prevalent, like I guess, ad group for farmers. But they've collected over a million signatures to support this, one of which the prime minister has signed. And I felt like that was obviously a very big deal. But going back to what you said, beyond the support of the farmers... This idea that farmers should have a voice in this and th- that it matters, food sovereignty entered the chat because the minister is quoted as saying, "She the reason why she signed this is because of protecting the food heritage." And she also talked about how she renamed the Ministry of Agriculture and Food Sovereignty. And I feel like I've seen the words food sovereignty a lot, but I've actually never gone a layer deep it. of what that means and stands. For, do you know? Did you know? No. Or do you know? Mm-mm. No. I'd okay. Love to know. Yeah. So there's a Wiki- Wikipedia definition, but i that's what popped up first, obviously. But I ended up clicking on the article below it, which was there was a it was the first global food forum on food sovereignty and they described it as this. Food sovereignty is the right of peoples to healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through ecologically sound and sustainable methods and their right to define their own food and agriculture systems. It puts the aspirations and needs of those who produce, distribute, and consume food at the heart of the food systems and the policies rather than the demands of markets and corporations. So basically, it's about putting the people who produce, distribute, and consume our food in control of it. Interesting. Makes a lot Mm -hmm. of sense. What else do you got? I just I think it made me step back big picture, which I'll actually talk about this in our last article too. But it really makes me think about globalized food systems versus localized food systems. And I think I do think the minister and the other people that are quoting that article, like standing for because at first I was kind of what did they call it? Food tradition. I I don't know. I just wasn't I just saw it as a headline when I first looked at it. And then the more I like read, the more I did research on like food sovereignty, which I know it's kind of embarrassing that like I like in agriculture and I've never paid attention to that headline or thought about the importance and like the weight behind it. But the more I like read about it and think about these things, the more I am like, I do think we need to produce. I think that's my overall takeaway from this article is as a rancher, I guess I have two takeaways as a rancher goes back to what i said in the beginning that my primary concern from the beef industry is going to be that the labeling and advertising of these products is done in a manner that's not misleading. As a consumer, i think i have a new light on the idea that i think i'm falling under this camp of keep food real essentially. Um, or pre- preserving food. Like i would i know there has to be techno- technological advances in the food industry moving forward and i again i wholeheartedly welcome technology. But I think I want to see food real, not food fake. Yeah. Like whole foods.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think my... Biggest thing on this is I went in a very different direction than you, but just to give some context, in November, the FDA here in the United States approved the first cell cultured chicken. And we actually Mm -hmm. covered that on episode 59 back on December 16th. So I'm curious, though, if the EU will approve this, because if the EU approves it, then Italy can't stop the sale of other countries importing this into their country because of the trade agreements with the EU. But I'm curious if the EU will approve this because they have bans on GMOs. So I'm like, if you approve lab-cultured meat and you don't approve GMOs, that's nuts.
0: I don't know much about the EU. I don't know what the right word is. Is it like food administration, maybe? Yeah. But I do think they are a lot about the dollar from what little I've been getting into it. And I do think that people who initially back... This like plant based and lab based. I for me it always feels like it comes down to like maybe the dollars in it. And I don't know. I feel like the U- EU maybe would. I mean, they have allowed the chick, the crickets or the insects, and it talks a little I don't bit about know. that. That's
1: interesting because I feel like there's a lot of money behind like GMO companies as well wanting that, That's true. but. That's true. I don't know. I just feel like I always see the EU. I feel like Food Science Babe always has stuff that's, oh, the EU has this ban and it's allowed in the United Mm -hmm. States. And so I'm just, they have a lot of things that they don't allow. So if they allow this, I just feel like that's like backwards of everything else they've been doing.
0: Yeah, that's true. There is always, I feel like, reels from like food, I don't know what you call them, food enthusiasts, maybe, (laughs) foodies, (laughs) talking about how what we allow in the US that Europe
1: has banned. Although sometimes those are very misleading and they're just titled something different in the U-
0: EU, but that is an entirely different conversation. It is an entirely different conversation. But I do feel like, as you pointed out, you does put themselves on like a pedestal, essentially yeah. a little bit of look at what we like the st- high standards we have maybe is the way to say it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I went to follow the prime minister on Twitter but she oh. posts all in Italian, so I was like, "This isn't going to work out oh, very man. well."
1: We no. do our research for Discover Ag, but we have not gotten to the point of learning different languages for you Language. yet. So I'll tackle that season this year. four.
0: <laughs> yeah, stay tuned. All right, moving into our second interesting news piece, you guys, which is also brought to you by another sponsor. We're excited to introduce today none other than Culvers. That's right, you heard me right, Culvers is a sponsor of the discover podcast and they will be for the entire month of April because we are helping them promote scoops of thanks day, which takes place may 4th. So everyone mark it down on your calendars right now, may 4th, you are going to want to visit your local culver- Culver's for scoops of thanks day and donate $1 to agriculture education and get a single scoop of fresh frozen custard in exchange. Why are you going to want to do this? You ask because all proceeds benefit the thank you farmers project. I am always so jealous when I see you go through
1: Culver's. You just went like last week and I was... Oh, we don't have a Culver's. I Every time I'm someplace there's a Culver's, I... It's like my first stop. It's like I get my rental car, I go to Culver's, I pick up my dinner for the night, and then head to the conference. So, this is Culver's ninth annual Scoops of Thanks Day. And as Natalie mentioned, Scoops of Thanks Day is a part of Culver's Thank You Farmers Project. Since 2013, Culver's has donated over $4 million to ag- agricultural education. So, remember May 4th, Culver's Scoops of Thanks. All you have to do is donate $1 and you'll receive a single scoop of vanilla chocolate or how now brown cow fresh frozen custard, which is handcrafted with chocolate fresh frozen custard made with farm fresh dairy and infused with their signature root beer, swirled with chopped, dove chocolate and chocolate cake pieces. Wow. That's like a lot going in on in the how now brown cow. It sounds amazing. Yeah. My mouth is watering. I can like hardly talk. Use the drool. <laughs> yeah, I know. I seriously, I was like, as I was saying it, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even get through this. Definitely hitting that up. Where are we? We're going to be someplace May 4th. Ooh, I think we yeah. might be someplace with the Culver's. Yes, we can participate. To learn more about Culver's Thank You Farmer Proz- Project, visit the link in our show notes.
0: All right, you guys. Moving into our second industry news piece, you need to know this week. Title: Wash, blow dry, and one and a half degrees, please. Hairdressers trained to talk about climate action. A salon in Sydney, Australia, is spearheading workshops for hairdressers on how to steer small talk about the weather into conversations about global heating. This salon chats about love, life, and climate action. <laughs> I like
1: kicking. I'm. I have to laugh a little bit at this headline, but it is actually really interesting how they're approaching this.
0: I still cannot grapple my feelings about this whole situation. I'm not sure if I'm impressed, confused, worried. Like, I really don't know how I feel about this. So I think my overall feelings about it is I
1: don't love like the indoctrination feel of this, that like it's. Like, Thank you. You are being, I don't want to say brainwashed, but like they are being trained to have a conversation with you to make you feel a certain way. And what's crazy is the psychology that goes on behind this. This is what I found fascinating. They are using the fact that people trust their hairdressers, especially Mm -hmm. women, like a lot like hairdressers. Did you get into the whole like Mm -hmm. part of hairdressers and the role they play in our society and how it is like such an intimate relationship
0: because they are like touching your hair while talking to you? They called them like an unregistered or undiagnosed, basically like a counseling session. That's what I felt overall was like, are they trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, like forcing the situation? They had a lot of talk about like how you lead the conversation and ways to introduce it. And it's one thing if you go and it gets brought up, maybe you could talk about it, but I still don't get that whole concept either. It's, are we training people going through the fast food drive throughs and our person taking our order at the coffee for all, like just, I was kind of like, why hairdressers? Yes. So
1: I... One of the things I noted is that a lot of times hairdressers, they said it comes up, especially this was in Australia. And when the brush fires were going on, it was a really heavy part of the conversation when people were getting their hair done. There was a lot going on. And a lot of these hairdressers felt like they were not qualified to have the conversations they were having. So on that side, like I appreciate that someone was going in and was like, here's like how you can have this conversation. Because I honestly, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of questions or comments, DMs from farmers, even being like, I don't feel like I'm qualified qualified to have these conversations about climate around agriculture. And it made me think like, how great would it be to have some workshops for farmers to be like, here's how you like can back up your stance. Like here's how you can take a stand. And that's where I could see this. If that was coming up, maybe they did need some support and some information.
0: No, I agree. And I do think that there, is it there, do they have a prime minister? Is that what she's called or is that New name Zealand? have a, so, a, am i confusing them is it a female that's know. australia's or new zealand one of anyway one of them is very climate forward so i do think that maybe it's a bit more of like culture conversation than it possibly is in places like the US. I think part of my still uncertainty about this whole thing is that, and I couldn't find any information, maybe you could, but when I tried to find, I did find that they, the workshops are ran by climate scientists. So this there's a salon owner that spearheaded this idea. She called it what? A brush with, what was it called? Like a brush with climate or something? Yeah. A brush I'll with climate. Up. I'll come, uh, the project called A Brush With Climate. Yeah, is spearheaded by the owner of the salon, but she does bring in two climate scientists to talk about it. But other than that, I could not find anything of this, the work topics included at the workshop, topics discussed. I don't know what, how they're training them. Like, I don't know any of that information and I could not find it. I even tried to find like a website for this brush with climate and I could not. And so I thought that was really weird that like, I, I don't know what's being taught there. And I think that makes me a little uncertain. Uh, one
1: of the things I thought that you were going to bring up, and maybe you are, but they said that people need more than just science. They need people they can trust and they trust their hairdressers. And it goes back to, we have a great quote from Kim Stackhouse. I'll let you say it because I feel like you you love it.
0: Yeah, the episode's releasing actually next Tuesday to you guys with her finally. But she talks about how when it comes to the ag and food space, it's the only industry where food and science... Or sorry, oh my gosh, I butchered it. It's the only industry where science and emotion are on the same playing field. And I think that's a pretty profound way to think about like some of the... I guess why it gets so complicated is because even though sometimes we have the science to support things, people emotion overrules it. Like you can't control that strong feeling they have about whatever it is you're talking about, even when you have facts and numbers to support it.
1: Yeah. And so that is that goes back to that whole trust with their hairdresser. I was laughing reading this, though. I get my hair done pretty. I obviously highlight my hair. So I probably get my hair done more often than you. So my appointment lasts for a long time my hairdresser i didn't know her before she started doing my hair she's literally one of my best friends now <laughs> so i was reading this and i was like this is absolutely true like i am so close with my hairdresser now and i was like i can see like why they're playing on that emotion like it's that really is, great marketing or really great intuition to know that it is so funny you said that because i wrote
0: down that who are these people that want to go have these conversations anyway? (laughs) I'm like, all I want to do when I get my hair done is put in AirPods, listen to a podcast and just have someone like massage my head with oils and cut it. Like, I don't want to talk. I'm like, who are these people going to have deep conversations? Me. Hi. It's yeah. Me. It's funny that you did say that I, that I didn't bring up the motion thing. Cause I did bring, I had it as a bullet point for me to talk about. Cause the quote was when we ask these people who they want to hear from about client change, they often say they're friends and family, that they want to talk about this, but they want to hear from people who are personally relevant to them and are relatable. And the note I wrote down is okay. Maybe those people need to hear from discover ag and not their hairdresser. Then <laughs> it was like my plug for like pushing. Discover. <laughs> that is our tagline. Ag you can relate to. So
1: yes. come on over and learn about climate change from us. We would love to share with you.
0: All right. Anything else about
1: our friends down under before we move on? Nope. Let's move on to the next one. This one's, I feel like a big
0: one, so I'm ready to tackle it. Yeah. It's like a 180 degree change, like 360 degree change too. Okay. Moving into our third article, you guys, title, In Fields Sown with Bombs, Ukraine's Farmers Risk Deadly Harvest. Some who till the breadbaskets of Ukraine have already lost three seasons of planting to war. With mines and cluster bombs widely scattered, normal harvest seem far in the future.
1: So I'll start by saying this was a really heavy topic. And I don't know how you felt reading it, but I feel like when there is a tragedy or a war, it obviously weighs heavy on you. But when you can literally place yourself in the shoes of those people it hits you so much harder. Like I had a really hard time with this article because I just kept thinking, oh my goodness, if tomorrow like a war broke out, what would that mean for our farm? What would that mean for our dairy? Would Daniel be going off to war? Would, you know, employees be going off to war and we would be here with these cattle? What would we do? And I think cattle, for me, the cattle were really weighing heavy on me. Not to say that crops aren't important too, but like the cat, I was like, we'd have these live animals that would have to, we'd have to figure out what to continue to do with them. And it was, was, I was very emotional reading this article.
0: Yeah, it was a really jarring, like you said, jarring piece to read. So for everyone listening, it wasn't like actually a news article. I would call it like an expose piece where they were really just highlighting basically the stance of Ukraine farmers and the agriculture industry right now. They talked, basically, it had a lot to do with mines being left over in farmers fields. And obviously the risk within that puts farmers workers in as they go out. And so basically it talked about how they have to comb their fields with metal detectors and risk every time they climb into the tractor, are they risking death basically versus not farming, which is then, as we'll talk about in a second, economic crisis because agriculture, I again was naively not aware of this, but agriculture is huge in Ukraine, like huge. Yeah, it's
1: considered like the breadbasket of the world. And they have already lost three seasons, like crop seasons over the last year. So I think a lot of farmers are at the point where they financially and just the country needs this economically for them to get started again. And so they are literally risking their lives to start planting in the ground again.
0: Yeah. So to put it, I guess, in a more perspective, Ukraine is one of the world's top agriculture producers and exporters. So they absolutely play a very critical role in supplying several different products in the global market, which I'm going to list in a second. Like you said, Tara, they are nicknamed the breadbasket of Europe. Interesting thing about them is that you and I talk all the time about like arable land versus non-arable and like what we can utilize crops for and just different ways. Everyone thinks land is land and it's not. And they highlighted out that 70% of the country of Ukraine is prime agriculture land. It's 60 million hectares and roughly 42 million of them is agriculture land, which is massive. And a lot of it came down to what I was reading was they have really good soil. It's called this Chernozem or something. And it's basically really rich black soil. It's like perfect for growing grains. So agriculture products in Ukraine, the country's main crops include sunflower, corn, soybeans, wheat, and barley. Ukraine is first in the world in global sunflower and sunflower oil production and export. They produce about one third of the world's sunflower oil and account for nearly half of global exports. Ukraine and Russia together supply a quarter of our world's wheat. Ukraine is also a large producer of potatoes. It's quoted that they're the fourth largest in the world. They are absolutely Reliant on agriculture, I think about fourteen percent of Ukraine's population is provided employment through the agriculture industry. So, circling back to, like you said, they've already lost three seasons. Like anyone who is a farmer, hears that they knows how devastating that is from an economic standpoint.
1: Yeah, one of the worst regions that. Cur- kerson region is known for its watermelons and tomatoes and that area is just been devastated i did you read about i read about the farmer too who at like last year when this started they were actually burning their crops so that russia Mm -hmm. couldn't take them over like it would be less appealing and i can't even imagine the decision to burn your food to make your
0: land less appealing for invasion it's kind of no. Nuts. again going back to reading it like emotionally I was like sick to my stomach reading a lot same. of this article and just like you said the decision we talk about before the mental health in agriculture and how we face so much that is out of our control on an every day basis so like weather markets pricing all of these things and then you compare that to the emotional toll of making those same decisions with war and added on like the emotional scarring of that as well as like lives lost um it honestly it really made me sick to read this article like but you and i talked about this we talked about how even though we felt like this was a really heavy piece we still want to talk about it because i think it's important yeah. no one is no one's bringing awareness to this or talking about this financial state of farmers whether it's from a money aspect or a mental aspect and also i don't i would gonna go out on a limb and say i'm not the only person that didn't realize how viable ukraine is from an agriculture standpoint when it comes to exportation and importation like these are the conversations that more people need to be having and talking about even though it is like this really it's a very sombering it's like not a fun time we switch from hairdressers to this it's not exactly fun
1: yeah there was this quote that i thought really summed up the article for me and the goal of russians was was to destroy farmland because it prevented us, this was the quote from a Ukrainian perspective, prevented us from bringing back a stable life for people. Mm -hmm. Like ag is a stable life. Providing food for people is what brings a stable life. And that was their goal was to destroy that and putting these mines there. The pictures are crazy of the amount of mines these farmers have found. And Just the amount of time. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of thousands. They said the area contaminated with mines is the size of Great Britain. It is Mm -hmm. a huge piece of area that, you know, and farmers. I read one thing that was like farmers are basically becoming experts in mines because they have to be to figure out like all the different types of mines, how to get them out. I mean, how to remove them safely. Lots for farmers to take on. And then the economic toll, I think, is one that is not... The damage to Ukraine's environment is estimated to be at 50 billion in the form of pollution of land, air, water resources, destruction of forests and natural reserves.
0: Yeah, you went. You mentioned like the pictures of it, and I actually found a thread on Twitter. I'm gonna try and look more so that maybe when this airs, we'll have more photos to show or just more perspective. Because this actually is from a. It was from a European news article, but they had an actual photo of a farmer's tractor out at pasture. Net- I don't know. Again, it's just really jarring to see it. It has not caution tape, but some form of red and white tape. And then there's like a big sign that's like no trespassing. And there's this tractor that's blown up. And so it just like really, I think, puts it in perspective. Sometimes, again, we're so removed and isolated from things that even thinking about it, we're like, oh, sorry, Ukraine. But then you actually see it and you're like, wow, like the tractor is. Blown up in the field, and there was likely like a life in that tractor that maybe survived. It's not terrible, but obviously is going to be having some form of damage. Get away scotch free would be my guess. And I don't know. It's just, I feel like it's a reality check a little bit too about just, again, going back to what we talk a lot about is that like in America, we have a pretty safe, affordable, and abundant food system. And I don't know. To have that taken away in the ma- in the course of a year, you know, that to have that removed. One thing we haven't
1: talked about too that I just want to mention is the export situation. So even the farmers that are able to continue growing, they're having challenges with exports. But there is a sea corridor that was negotiated by the UN last year that allowed already harvested crops to be exported out. So to help with the kind of food crisis to offset that food crisis. But the deal was due to expire on March 18th and they are trying to renew it. And that way, like if farmers are able to harvest they can actually still sell their crops, which is a really important piece. So you have the farmers yeah. who can't even harvest or can't even plant. And then the ones that are, how do you get it out of the country and make money off that to obviously stimulate the
0: economy? So on that note, I found an article by Successful Farming that was like titled, I think, what Ukraine ag will look like in 2023. And I honestly could not keep up with the article because it was so laced with so many things that we're talking about, like the banks. And there were so many variables to consider about, you know, was talking about exportation, importation, and actually was talking about the What's that exchange rate? Because when you're doing exportation, it's in, gonna be in different dollars. And so they were talking about all of these different like things that are at play. And again, I was just like, wow, we really love to simplify agriculture when it is such a complex thing. Because again, going back to this Twitter post I found, the caption with that tractor said that talked about the situation immediately. But then it said it won't be an easy start when war is over. In France, farmers are still plowing up munitions from World War II, which I had to Google what munitions was, and it basically means like weapons, ammunition, basically all like the leftover metal stuff. And it just made me really think like what we talked about last week with California is that, again, so much is focused on like the immediate of these situations and thinking about like the long-term recovery it is going to take in the next, I don't even know how many years it will take. Again, they're talking about World War II. France is still like dealing with like leftover from it. And so to think about the long-term, like what Ukraine has down the road. Oh, you're talking about- decades. Like decades yeah.
1: of I mean there is hundreds of thousands of mines hidden. Some of them are made out of plastic so it's not as easy as like just using a metal detector. I know you mentioned at the beginning. They will be dealing with this for our entire generation, which is just crazy to think about and terrible to think about.
0: Yeah, so our heart goes out if we have any listeners in that area or anything, people that have information. Yeah, our heart, yeah, our heart hear goes out to you guys and yep, as always we just share our perspective. We're always open to other people's perspective, even if it's different than ours or is against something we said. Please don't hesitate to reach out and share because we're just—it's just Tara and I giving our our opinions, and we always welcome everyone else's to the conversation too. On that note, thank you guys for tuning in to Discover Ag this week, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We will see you guys next Thursday.